Hi, I'm Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, and you're listening to the Patients Come First podcast. Greetings and welcome to the Patients Come First podcast. On today's episode, we are honored to be joined by Dr. Dan Carey, who is Virginia's Secretary of Health and Human Resources. As Secretary, Dr. Carey is charged with expanding access to affordable care for Virginians, improving the Commonwealth's behavioral health and developmental services program, and making meaningful progress on issues like substance use and addiction, women's health, children's health, and so much more. We're going to dive into all of that during our conversation, but first, let's welcome Dr. Carey to the show. Mr. Secretary, thank you for being here. My pleasure to participate. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show. You've held a number of leadership roles uh, prior to your appointment as secretary by Governor Northam. That includes your work uh, as a cardiologist, which was your specialty when you were a practicing physician. Uh, You were also a hospital leader. You were the senior vice president and chief medical officer at Centra Health System, which is a Lynchburg-based system. We always like to begin by giving our listeners just a sense of who our guest is. So if you would, please tell the folks who are listening a little bit more about your background uh, and your career path and what brought you to where you are today. Well, thank you very much. I would say, first and foremost, I uh, came from a military family. Uh, And I say that only because moving around every two years or every three years and uh, where home was really more of a state of mind and relationships with our nuclear family than than a particular place was very much a part of that that growing up. My parents were both from uh, New York, and uh, my mom was a public school teacher, and my dad was a engineer and fighter pilot, and I was born in Japan, and uh, Texas, Maryland, then Florida, North Carolina, back to Maryland back to Florida, then to Virginia. So moved, you know, in fact, I never lived any place more than four years until four years and a day that I lived in Lynchburg, Virginia. So I had moved around a great deal, and that led to a, a very strong sense of, uh, of our family. And uh, so, but that moving around also led to me to, to train around the country in Boston and San Francisco, where I met my wife, and then at, in Atlanta. In any event, I, I studied political and social thought at UVA and then went on to med school and then trained in internal medicine and then cardiology. And and then I spent four years on active duty uh, in the Air Force myself down in Biloxi, Mississippi. So I think that, you know, I, I've moved around a lot, although the last 21 years, my wife and I have been in, in Lynchburg and it was a, it is a great community and and we're so fortunate to have had time there and to work there and to raise our two children there. And, uh, you know, we miss it. And now that my wife, Kim, and I are here in, in Richmond, but we go back, our daughter still lives in, in Lynchburg. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, your wife, Kim, she's also uh, in the healthcare field as well. She's a nurse. Is that correct? She is. We uh, we met when I was uh, a story of as old as time. You know, doctor meets nurse in the academic medical center. Uh, we met in San Francisco, and she then was a CCU nurse, and uh, she she's done clinical trials in in heart failure, clinical trials in electrophysiology, and uh, she's continued to to work along the way. And it, it's something that we've shared. She certainly understood the clinical work. And I certainly understood the work that she did, whether clinical or, or research. So it was it was something to uh, to share, and we and we still share. And she's working here in Richmond now uh, with a group that does clinical trials. 
Well, we're going to ask one more personal question for the moment, and then we're going to shift to healthcare topics. And that question is this, to give folks just a little bit more of a sense of who you are. If Kim were also participating in this conversation right now, and I asked her, what is Dan Carey's one guilty pleasure in life? What would she say? Uh, that's a great uh, question. I-, I think she would say uh, chocolate. Okay. Um, I think, uh, like my mom, um, we love chocolate, uh, you know, basic Hershey's chocolate with uh, with almonds or, or something like that. And uh, so I think that's one thing she'd say. And, I- and I'd say the other thing is that um, I get a lot out of, exercise it's not all that much of a guilty pleasure but i it's something that if i don't do regularly um i think she can tell the difference i may be a little on the ornery side if i haven't had uh, a spin class at the y or a, or a game of tennis or swimming or something like that i think she would say that uh, that's a great pleasure not necessarily a guilty one but i would say chocolate is probably my number one uh, guilty pleasure i think she would say that well, we should all follow the doctor's orders and make sure that we get our requisite amount of uh, physical activity every day. And as far as chocolate is concerned, I mean, you know, who who isn't a chocolate lover? <laughs> now that, uh, and, and I will say one other thing for, for the benefit of our listeners, which is uh, knowing you a little bit, you're also a, a heck of a good sport. Uh, we're taping this in mid-October, and earlier this month, uh, Secretary Kerry was was one of the healthcare leaders in Virginia who participated in getting his flu shot in front of a large audience, including a television audience, uh, and that was that was to stress the importance of getting your flu shot every year to protect not only yourself and your loved ones, but also the people that you work around and interact with every day. So you're a good sport for doing that, and we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, let's shift now to healthcare. We're at a particularly pivotal time uh, in healthcare, particularly in the Commonwealth, as our audience hopefully knows. Beginning January 1st of 2019, so just a few months from now, hundreds of thousands of Virginians will have access to high quality healthcare that they didn't have before. One of the things that uh, the Commonwealth is doing and your secretariat and the governor and so many others are doing is really trying to educate the public, educate providers, um, educate the Commonwealth as a whole about the availability of this new coverage for uninsured adults so that they can get signed up and educate providers so that they know that uh, these patients will now have access to care and, and insurance coverage. As we sort of build up towards this process, what things are you trying to stress or get across to providers and patients regarding expanded coverage and how they can educate themselves so that they can, if they're a patient, get coverage, if they're a provider, help care for those patients who are newly covered? Well, I think the most, first from the, from the patient's and individual's perspective, I think that the key message is that things have changed. A number of folks may have inquired as to whether they were eligible to enroll in Medicaid in the past, and they did not qualify. And Virginia traditionally has been uh, very, uh, I'll say, frugal. There are other words that come to mind, but as a very stringent criteria for who is eligible for Medicaid and who is not. And essentially, childless adults without a disability, are, regardless of income, have not been eligible in Virginia. So folks may have been hospitalized and the hospital got them involved uh, with applying for Medicaid and they found out that they weren't eligible. So they, I think there are a number of folks out there 
and, and we're getting feedback from individuals that, hey, I, I applied in the past. That doesn't apply uh, to me because I wasn't eligible. So the key message is things have changed. Now for folks up to 138% of the federal poverty level, uh, which for a single person is around $16,000, about $28,000 for a family of three, you now will be eligible um, regardless whether you have uh, uh, children in the home or not, dependent children. So the message that we're trying to convey to the community and to individuals is things have changed. If you are, like many Virginians, working, but your job does not cover either it doesn't have uh, a health insurance benefit or it, there is a benefit, but simply it's unaffordable, there is an option. And we're uh, very hopeful that folks will respond to this message and, and go to the website, coverva.org, or go to their local Department of Social Services um, and, and apply or inquire. So one thing is that it's a, things have changed. It's a new day in Virginia with regard to the uh, availability of health coverage for hardworking, low-income Virginians. So that's an important message. On the provider side, whether you're a doctor's practice or or other health care provider or you're a health system, the, the key is to, if you participate, thank you so much. We appreciate you participating in the Medicaid program in Virginia. And uh, be, be prepared and know that uh, folks will be signing up and enrolling uh, in the months ahead, and there will be a large group of newly eligible that will need education and orientation um, from a variety of perspectives. And if you're a individual practice, for example, that has not been participating uh, with Medicaid, we encourage folks to learn more. Um, we've been trying to make uh, Medicaid much more user-friendly. Uh, we still have work to do, no doubt, on the rates to make them um, more competitive, and, and we are working on that and uh, haven't got that problem fully solved. But for many folks, there there are six managed care organizations in Virginia that are insurance companies that work with Medicaid-eligible patients and provide insurance. So there are six in Virginia, and we're encouraging providers to try two. Try the two, two that are in your area so that you don't have to jump in necessarily uh, with your into the pool, but you can maybe put a, a leg in and experience what it's like to, to work with Medicaid uh, in Virginia. So we're trying to make it, again, as user-friendly as possible from the perspective of both the patient and providers. So I think that's very important. And uh, as we work on the rate issue, we want to make sure that as many practices and many physician and other provider groups in Virginia are, are open to, to Medicaid patients. So we're working on both sides of that equation. And let's make sure that we repeat that website address a few more times for the benefit of people who are listening. Again, that's coverva.org, cover, C-O-V-E-R-V-A, like Virginia, va.org. Uh, and that's a place, it's a clearinghouse for lots of information for people, and, and we can't encourage folks strongly enough to make sure that they visit that website to, to get informed. Let's talk a little bit more about healthcare in the Commonwealth. As part of coverage expansion, that means access to care, as you said, Secretary Kerry, for people who previously hadn't had it, maybe who had tried to sign it before and were unsuccessful in doing so or were ineligible prior to broadened eligibility. Access to care is one of the 
pivotal factors in population health, which is something that I know that your secretariat and the Virginia Department of Health under uh, Commissioner Oliver are working on. The hospital community is supporting that work. And I was wondering if you could just provide sort of a quick overview of HHR's focus on population health around the Commonwealth and what sort of the long-term end goals are by sort of taking this more comprehensive, holistic approach uh, to healthy people. Sure. I think it's important to keep in mind the Institute of Healthcare Improvements framework, and, and they use the term triple aim. And these, these are no trade-off goals that, that are the following. First is the, the care of the individual, both on the quality side and the service excellence side. The second is the care of the population. Those are things like the infant mortality rate. That's looking at metrics across a particular population or subpopulation that may be, you know, of the diabetics in Virginia, how many are getting the four or five elements that we consider optimal care. They're getting their hemoglobin A1Cs, which are one of the measures of how high the glucose has been in the past and in recent past, or it could be how many folks with diabetes are getting an eye exam or getting a foot exam that are what we would consider the best practices. So that's a second element, the second uh, leg of the stool in the triple aim. And the third is per capita cost of care or the, or the cost of care. So we, we want all three of those at the same time in a no, no trade-off situation. So population health and the metrics around the, the health status, wellness, and illness side of a particular population is one of the approaches that, that are important. So the, the key is you can provide great care for that patient that's having a heart attack, that individual patient that, God forbid, has a, has a new cancer diagnosis, and they're getting world-class care one patient at a time, but you also care about all of the patients that may have a particular condition. So it matters how we treat the individual, and it matters how many of the individuals in the population get that very good treatment. So I, I think our goal in Virginia is to make sure that not only are we taking very good care of individuals, but we have a mindset that's looking at for example, all of the diabetics or all of those that have hypertension or all of those with uh, other chronic conditions or, or those also children, how many people are, are getting the vaccines they need. All of those wellness elements as well as those treatment and support modalities for folks with chronic conditions, it, that's an important measure of quality. So I think the first thing we need to do better in Virginia is to pay attention to those metrics that we're, we're measuring them but we, we need to keep our eye on those balls and understand what are the levers we have in Virginia to encourage improvement. Some of that is in the what Medicaid is doing. Our performance is good, but we want it to be great. Some of it is in the encouraging the private system of insurance and care in Virginia. How are we making sure that providers of all types are focused on quality and and it also can occur in the state health plan where a thousand individuals are covered. So there are a lot of different ways that we can be approaching better care for the population. And I think that while we as individuals care how we're treated, often the best way to improve the overall outcomes for the millions of Virginians is to make sure that at the population level that there are standard processes in place so that everybody is getting the, the care at the right time at the right place. So I think the vision we have 
in the years going forward is that we've got to make sure we have the, the metrics that we need for the populations that we serve and that we're making sure that we're not just caring for the individuals, but we're caring for the populations. And, and really, it's almost a misnomer. It's the subpopulations within population health that make the difference. What are those populations that have special needs, individual types of needs like diabetics, like those with high blood pressure, like those with heart failure, like those with asthma, those who are, you know, all children who need preventive services, et cetera, making sure that the individuals are getting the care that we need by promoting execution on best practices and then measuring it and sharing it in a transparent way. So, I, I mean, those are some of the techniques, Julian, that I think are important to make sure that we continue to improve. Well, that's very important work. And the name of that initiative, uh, the Population Health Initiative in the Commonwealth, is Partnering for a Healthy Virginia. It's something that the hospital community is supportive of um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, both providing access, making sure that quality, safety, value, all of those things are improved to benefit patients and, by extension, the Commonwealth as a whole. So we appreciate uh, the focus on that. I will we'll close this with a question, a personal question that we like to ask our guests on the Patients Come First podcast. If you were stuck on a deserted island and we were to give you only one book and one album that you could take with you and we will spot you a copy of the Bible, what one album and one book would you take with you to keep you entertained? Wow, that's a great, uh, that's a great question. I'll go with the, uh, the book first. I would say uh, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. It, it actually is a bit of a Cain and Abel story, two different generations with Cain and Abel type stories of conflict between brothers and within families. Uh, it's a epic. It occurs on the East Coast and then occurs on the West Coast. It, it's got many layers, and uh, I think it's the kind of book that if you continued to read and reread, you would get different levels of meaning. So, uh, I think East of Eden would be the answer. Now, album. That is, uh, gosh, I am trying to think what stands out. I, I think I had my, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, there was kind of a classic rock uh, kind of era. I would probably think, you know what, I'd have to say Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. And I think actually Thunder Road is probably unappreciated because Born to Run is so good. I think Thunder Road is uh, often unappreciated because I in, think on its own it really is a, a powerful anthem. So I would say uh, Born to Run. Well, full disclosure, I think Steinbeck and Springsteen are both excellent choices. I will confess that I have not read East of Eden. I have read The Grapes of Wrath uh, as a school assignment many years ago, but I haven't read East of Eden. And as a native New Jerseyan. <laughs> I can't say a bad thing about Bruce Springsteen about the boss. Okay. So. I would say um, East of Eden is worth it. Um, I would. It's much more textured and a little more, uh, it's a little bigger scale than uh, even, uh, even the Grapes of Wrath. So I, I, I think it's worth a read. Well, I appreciate the recommendation, and we appreciate you being on the podcast today and for carving out a little bit of time in your busy schedule. So, Secretary Kerry, thank you for being a guest on this episode of the Patients Come First podcast. 
My pleasure. And by the way, you did mention collaboration with the Secretariat and, and all the work that we're doing. I really appreciate all the work that so many entities in Virginia, the VHHA, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take all of us to improve the population health in Virginia. So I appreciate all that you're doing and your organization is doing. It's going to take all of us to, to see the improvement we need. That's going to do it for today's episode of the Patients Come First podcast. You can find new episodes as they become available at www.vhha.com. You can also find episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud. We also encourage you to engage with us on social media, including Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to send us comments, questions, or feedback for the podcast, you can do that through our Twitter account at VirginiaHHA using the hashtag Patients Come First. Thanks. Thanks.